Hey, welcome to Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and um, yeah, today is an, uh, another session, and I want to show you guys some examples as I turn down this uh, this music here, and I pop over to my um, my fat face, and oh, sorry, I had to plug something in. <laughs> and then today also I have um, a, a photographer, artist, and filmmaker. Um, David Miller, who joined me, who's going to join me for today's uh, session, and I got to unmute him real quick. Sorry, hold on, David. Come on, unmute. Wait. It's funny. I see you, but it won't let me unmute you. Oh, great. Hey, can you try to unmute yourself? Does that work? There we go. So you get you get to do it. Okay. Say hi to everybody, David. Hello. <laughs> Cool. So David's all the way um, from Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, we're going to go into some of his work later on. But today, I'm going to show you two examples of uh, some independent filmmakers that are doing some uh, really cool stuff, and I want to kind of uh, bring up their examples so that you know that perhaps what you could do um, after you make a film. So let's go ahead and just get right into it. I'm going to go back to my screen share, and I'm going to pop over to... The presentation present to everybody. Okay, so clicking through this thing, the idea is like, okay, so you finish your film, but now what do you do, right? And that's probably majority of the questions that everybody has when they enter the world of marketing. Like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> Especially if you're just trying to make a film, put it online, and then have people come see it or buy it online. So yeah, so the big question is, how do you get people to notice your film? Well, I guess you could always ask, you know, social media, hey, check me out, check my stuff out, hey, check it out, check it out. Never works. It's just basically spam. Uh, I think uh, Joe Wilson talked about that um, in an interview he did for Film Courage, which I loved, which is just basically, you know, you can't be a spammer. You have to provide value and be more creative and more effective with your marketing than just say, hey, check my stuff out or check me out. So what else we do? Um, let's take a look at this first example. This is actually from uh, the movie The Door. And uh, as you, you may have seen like in an earlier uh, Film Marketing Friday, I had on filmmaker Patrick McBrearty from um, Ontario, Canada. I believe it's Ontario. I mean, if I don't, I, Patrick, tell me if I'm wrong or not, but, you know, but I believe it's Ontario. So then, um, oh, suddenly, suddenly it went that way. Let's go back a little bit. I think my mouse actually hit it. So we go to his site, The Door. I want to kind of show you uh, what he's doing, which is great. First off, I, I've seen the film, and it's really good. And it's, uh, let's see here. We go back here. I have to switch over to another slide. So I go from the slide presentation using Google Hangouts, and then i got to click over and say, um, let me share you my other screen on my desktop. Okay, cool. So you guys can see this, right? You can see this, David? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So the cool thing, okay, the cool thing is right off the bat, I love what Patrick has done with the door because he could he kept it simple. It's this is a horror, a thriller, suspense movie. And he didn't use um when you see the poster, um that he created for the door. If we go to 
iTunes, which is going to be released in a couple days, in like four days from now, it's being released. You go to the iTunes page um, as it loads up. Kind of too much stuff going on. Um, you can pre-order it, which helps quite a bit. Um, but he's got this poster here, and um, that's a great shot. Or yeah, a great graphic. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. Because here's a cool thing about it. This is a super like uber uber indie film. You know, made up in Canada, and. Um, and you know the great thing about what he did with his poster, which we had in another episode, is that he didn't use like screen grabs from the video or from the HD footage. You know, a lot of times you'll see uh, like low budget independent films that will take literally frame grabs from their actual sequences in the movie, and then they do some crappy sort of Photoshop of it. You know, and it, that and that just screams amateurish. So he took the time to take the, f the proper photograph, and you, David, being a photographer, could understand that. And then taking this and just getting right to the point. Uh, the movie's the door, and the reality is you're always asking, like, what's behind the door? And this image sells it. We, he's got it. Like, I got a young woman. She's got blood on her back with the, the, the sign, the door put on it, with all this grunge look. I mean, there's no way. You can just you exactly know what you're getting into when you see this kind of image. It kind of matches up very quickly. And the, the poster is so important because it's your sales letter. Like, without a, you don't even have to do a pitch. If somebody just sent me this poster and say, hey, check out my film, the first thing I'm going to look at is like, sweet, they did a, you know, they didn't sh skimp on their uh, poster design. They took yeah, the time. That a, I'm sorry, Scott, isn't that yeah. similar to the Carrie poster? Yeah, probably. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's funny that you brought that up. There's a lot of... Um, there's a website. I remember sh they were showing like all these different examples of uh, of like different posters that 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 are similar. Like there's only like so many designs that have been created, you know. And so, yeah, I, I so, think it was late or something. They had the yeah <laughs> years and years worth of posters next to each other. Right, right. And so um, yeah, I remember seeing that. Oh wait, squeeze. And he incorporated the text with the image, which is yeah. uh, good. Right. And just having text hang outside of your picture is easy. Yeah. And, but it's not distinctive like this is. This is pretty gruesome. Closer yeah. To the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's the cool thing. So what he's also done is, like, we had this discussion. Um, we talked about what's it going to be like selling onto Amazon, and that there, there was this concept of a lot of book authors. Um, as I pop my face back in, just to have something interesting. So book authors. Oh, stop. This is getting annoying. Sorry, guys. Uh, here we go. It's interesting. This there's a new app. There's a new feature on Google. Hangouts that every time I want to share my screen, it gives me layers of um, um, permit or warnings like, "Hey, do you want to share this with everybody or not everybody?" I guess it's good because I can share with you just my screen, and but the, what I'm broadcasting out, uh, they don't see. So I might have to show everybody again the poster because I'm not even sure it got broadcast. It might have got broadcast to you, David, but I don't think it got broadcast out to the Google um, Hangout people. Anyway. One of the things that Patrick and I were talking about, because he was going back and forth getting ready for his launch, is uh, there's this concept, like, can you take your digital product, like a book, that 
authors have been doing for some time now and release it on Amazon, but what are the successful things that they do um, to make it work in the Amazon marketplace? And so that's the experiment we're doing with uh, the book I'm writing right now, The Survival Guide to the Hollywood Implosion. The thing is, is you know, you've got to build sort of like this evangelist group. Anybody to give away, you have to give them something of value, so you give something away for free in exchange that all you're wanting is like an honest rating and review in Amazon before you launch your product on the marketplace because then you get that spike of like all those ratings and reviews and that helps. Now the interesting thing is that Patrick has been, uh, I don't believe he has formal distribution on this, but he's been working with an aggregator and that's all you really need because now his aggregators getting him into all these marketplaces are uh, digital platforms such as iTunes. And it went a lot faster than we had expected because in the past it used to take like 90 days. So anytime you, you work with an aggregator, um, and uh, Jason Brubaker of filmmakingstuff.com can attest to this because he's he knows it inside out, but the um, Working with an aggregator is essentially just making sure that your film product is of up to technical specs. It's not another. They don't really care what your subject matter is as long as it's not like, you know, pornography or it's like something. Um, um, the subject matter is, you know, going to cause a lot of problems, you know, or whatever it might be. So they pretty much are just looking for the technical uh, specifications to be met on each digital. Uh, direct digital uh, distribution platform. So iTunes has a list of what they need to be um, required for your film to meet before they put it up on their marketplace. And so that usually takes like 90 days because you can imagine, you know, all these films or products coming in, you know, who has to take the time to make sure that it, it meets, meets the specs. So they want to give that 90 day grace period to, to make sure that they have enough time to you know do the work but apparently um, uh, Patrick was able to get through much quicker than I think he expected so now that goal he's taking the same concept of building sort of a evangelist group a launch group and getting it, the film out to them in exchange can you you know leaving the ratings and review so I was fortunate enough to get a chance to see the film and then you know I had a great time watching it the cool thing about his film is it looks great and then on top of that, he's got a bunch of attractive young people, which is what you need in a you know horror thriller suspense film. <laughs> and you need to know that they're going to get offed, you know. <laughs> and he builds up the suspense. And he, the best thing he he had a great ending that sort of wrapped it up nicely. It just didn't you know it didn't end in a whimper. It ended it uh, like a, a surprise, like oh clever, good one. And that's and it was tight, you know. Um, it was definitely, you know, you could tell, like, you know, the budgets were, were low in the sense of, of you know, just uh, the spirit of independent film, but it was still very well done. It kept you intrigued. You wanted to know what was behind the door, what was going to happen next, and all this, when were all these beautiful young people going to get offed, <laughs> or something like that, or many of them would. So that was, he, he, he stayed true to the genre, and he did a good job, and now he's got this in place, and I want to show a little bit more, again, uh, the next steps of what he's done. Um, okay, so it looks like I got to share this. Yeah, I want to I want to present that to everybody. Okay, so back to here. So we were talking about this post design, and what he's also done because he and I going back and forth, Patrick and I. He one of the recommendations from a lot of internet marketers when you're launching a product um, before your release date is to do a giveaway, like a contest. So he's like, oh, okay. So he used. Um, King Sumo, I think. So you can click this. So it's real simple. The cool thing about his site 
is you come here, you know it's thedoormovie.com. You know it's a movie. Boom. Right away, you know exactly what kind of movie it is. All right, yep, here we are. Horror thrill. Does this, does this respond to me? Or do I like this? Am I interested? And he's like, you can watch the trailer. You can pre-order it on iTunes. He's got a clever little uh, um, quote, you know, and then he's got a blog. It makes it real simple. So when you click on this um, ultimate giveaway, I, I, th I signed up already. So, oh, yeah. So what normally happens is you would see here, uh, you would have to answer this really silly question, but then you would enter your email address to be part of this ultimate horror DVD giveaway. Because since I've already entered my email address, it shows me the next page. So if you enter your email address, it says, congratulations, uh, you know, here's the confirmation. And the great thing about, um, you know, especially being powered by King Sumo giveaways, they already have it built in that you can immediately share uh, share this on your the, the various platforms. So I had already, when I did this, I tweeted it out um, to my, my stream, my Twitter stream. But this is very clever because... He, essentially, he's saying, like, hey, you can win all these seven of these horror DVDs, including the new release of The Door, his film, signed by him, and you get a Keep Calm and Don't Open the Door t-shirt, which is great. So the cool thing is he's matching it up. This is what they call, like, in the Internet business world, a sort of a kind of a, uh, you know, a bundled package or a, a joint venture, um, although he's not necessarily working with, like, uh, Another, like some of these other directors, he's able to sell these films um, alongside his. And honestly, this is what film distribution companies have been doing for years. And so now he's able to do it on the independent side, you know, without the use of a distribution company and do it on his own. And the idea here is to get the buzz going because if you have diehard horror fans, they're like, oh, I want that stuff. Yeah, I'll take that, you know. He's bundled. He's made an event of his film being released alongside this, and which is great. It's, again, so this is a technique. If you're going to be releasing your film, you know what your genre is and then figure out a way to uh, combine it and then put together a, 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 a giveaway. So we go back to the door, um, his the main site. What else was I going to show here? Oh, yeah. We go back to my... To me, to my big fat head again. Stop. Okay. So yeah, so so that's really cool. And um, sorry, I can get my thoughts together as I go to the other screen share. Here we go, slide share. This is all in Google Plus by our uh, Google Docs. This is the uh, presentation one they have. So. When we all finish this and um, I post this up on filmtrooper.com and I'll, I'll provide the link later on, um, you can get this PDFs so you can always, you know, always download what I'm showing you. So we have, he's got the giveaway, he's got the link to the giveaway, and he's got the iTunes. Now oh, this is important. So iTunes has this interesting thing that I know in the podcast world and I probably believe it it's also exists in when you're releasing a movie. They have a weird thing where they, whenever something something's published to their platform, either it's a podcast or a film or even music, they put it what they call into the new and noteworthy. So you know if you've been on iTunes, if you've been scrolling around, sometimes they've got uh, this new and noteworthy section. So to capitalize on this opportunity to launch your film onto the iTunes marketplace, Patrick is doing the right thing, which is trying to build an evangelist uh, launch group. Um, 
you know, because when you click on that, you know, people can be leaving ratings review, and then you try, and really the power is, like he was telling me, is to try to get as many pre-orders through the iTunes platform. That will boost um, your visibility on iTunes during the eight-week span. Uh, it may not be that long in the movie um, section. I do know that works for the podcast section, where you have like eight good weeks to be part of this new and noteworthy. So you, the idea is you want to get as many download possible to your, uh, either your podcast or your film, as many sales as possible. So you're trying to just work that little window, which is actually kind of funny because it's almost you know iTunes is acting in a sense like a um, um, what do you call it? A um, a movie theater opening, you know, a box office opening. So that's really cool. So there's an example. And then what do we got? Oh yeah, he's October fourteenth. He's got he's releasing an iTunes. He's going to put it on uh, Vimeo on demand, on VHX, Xbox, and Sony. He's got uh, October twenty first. It's being released on Shaw on demand, which is I believe it's a Canadian um, a cable provider, which is fantastic. And October 28th, it will be relast. I think I, I misspelled released. It says relast on DVD through Black Fawn Distro. So he's got, you know, he's working through an aggregator. He he has a, a release plan, and he's doing his damnedest to, like, market it in the right way using Internet marketing uh, strategies that are done for any, like, uh, numerous other products, but now we're using for film products. And so... I just want people to see this example of how they can plan out on a, in, on a very independent level uh, on their own for their for their film. So if we move forward to uh, this other film I just saw from another uh, film trooper, um, these guys in Vegas made this uh, drama dramedy called uh, Jerry, and let's go take a look at what they did. So uh, stop this. Go over to my big head. Okay, so we go over here. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, but, uh, whoops. Okay, guys, here we go. So, Dream Street Limited. They made this film. Okay, so you can probably see that. You got somebody? <laughs> I have two little kids who are, uh, I'm, I'm in a room with the door closed, and they've actually walked outside of the house, knocking on the window to get my attention, so. Do you want to go grab them? I'm going to go a little bit this. I'll put you on mute, and then you come back. I love it. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. So here we go. Um, so this film here by Dream Street Limited, I just love what they did here. So it's just simple. You show up at their site. They tell you what it is. They've got the uh, their official movie trailer for their film, Jerry, which is available now. Obviously, this is being played on YouTube. So if you were at YouTube, you knew exactly where to go. And I'm sure when you go to YouTube, they have links um, to click over to dreamstreetlimited.com. There's a, really only a few options. Boom, you can buy it or you can listen to their blog. And you know, using some great little plug-in to um, stream out their... Um, their movies or videos related to the film. They got their social sharing, social sharing, and you can be uh, sign up for our newsletter. So there, there I am. You know, you could always email me if you want. But you can just do this, and you know, you sign it up, 
and you will get the uh, the the important thing when you're giving away an uh, email newsletter or any type of thing where you're trying to collect emails for your project, um, you need to basically give something away. You need to give some value away. Um, it's very rarely that people just sign up email just for the heck of it. You have to give some what they call a bribe. It's an opt-in bribe of some sort. I opt-in gift. Um, as you've seen, you know some of my stuff on FilmTrooper.com. I give away a free equipment guide, which is called it's a gear guide from the you know all the equipment that I used to make a feature film with no crew. Um, so what these guys have done is this book is essentially like a diary of their first feature, and it's it's really charming and because you know the story of getting things made is sometimes even more adventurous than the film itself. So this is really cool. What I like about this, although I think um, somewhere down here too, um, by habit, I, I almost feel like there should be another um, box or something down here that says like buy now or you know buy the movie now or something in yellow or you know something to grab attention or green or something that says go ahead and click here. So my habit is like oh oh I didn't know there's a store, but I think there needs to be much more. Like I think they could just add one more little box or something in here that says buy now. So if you buy now, you go to store. This is really great. So they've done the bundled uh, package. So you can just, for five bucks, uh, you, you can just get the streaming or you can get the, um, so I'm going to sneeze you guys. Hold on for one second. <laughs> Sorry. <Bless you. laughs> so here's the cool thing. It's really important to offer sort of vari uh, various packages because you don't know. Somebody might be such a fan of what you guys are doing that they're willing your early adopters or people who are just super fa uh, fans of yours want the, the ultimate package. So for $25, they offer the gold package, which is everything that's included here, plus you get the feature, the first feature ebook, the bonus clips, behind the scenes, things that are not available here. And... Um, which is great because you know I, I went ahead and bought LeBron's package because I wanted to own it. I didn't want to just stream it. I wanted to have a download. Um, um, but this is important because when you start selling stuff, you've probably seen it on so many different um, websites. They offer like you know, for here's the ten dollar offer, here's the hundred dollar offer, and then a thousand dollar offer, or whatever it might be. Sometimes it's a weird thing psychologically that if you're uh, putting you know, one price together uh, up against the next one, people would opt like, well, my range, I feel comfortable not doing 25, but maybe eight bucks, you know? And maybe that's your whole goal. If you you set up your metrics to say, you know what, we're hoping to get X amount of conversion rates on this on this rate here. You know, it might just be that. Um, because if you can imagine if, if you went to the store and all they had was, say, a $25 item, you know, you're you might be on the fence of like I don't know. You know, maybe if it was like you know five bucks or something. So by giving people that this option, um, it it works something psychologically on them to decide like oh you know what this is a good value I'll just do this one, and you make a sale. Um, Dove Simmons of um, Real to Deal book and he puts on like a two day um, film class down in L.A. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's he he just has a great way of teaching you how to make films. 
he calls it the what the f price. You know, you you try to find that price point where people go, oh, what the f? I'll pay for it. You know. <laughs> but so this is a really great example. So something like this, um, you know, their site is real simple. They're selling their film, and um, you know, they have and a way to collect email addresses. They give away a a, a a gift, which is their book, which is you know, I didn't realize that some you know. I can't remember one of their uh, crew members or something almost died. One of their their team members in a car accident, and so it's just crazy stuff like that. But um, as I come on over here, back to my mug. Um, the cool thing about what they did, so you, so I'll, I'll go into this in a second. But the movie itself, you guys gotta check it out. I I really I enjoy it. I both of them. I enjoy what Patrick's done. There's you can definitely see the craftsmanship, and the direction and the editing and 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 staying true to that genre, um, and it was a great hook at the end. Just it, you know kept me intrigued all the way to the end, and uh, and was satisfying how it ended. And then the other one, this Jerry is a drama a dramedy because, um, but it's there's probably more comedy. It's just I have to say the performances are fantastic. And the the interesting thing is they have a very small crew. You can totally tell, like, because when the end credits come up, it's like, okay, one one credit, you know, one title card that has like five people in it. <laughs> it's like, okay, we did the whole thing. But the really cool thing, because uh, uh, you know, David, you're out there in Phoenix, Arizona. They're over there in Nevada. There's this. They capture the beauty because I think a lot of people think, even though they're based in Vegas, you know, we a lot of the outside world has like one perspective or vision of what Vegas looks like. They were able to get out to like the you know sort of the the red rock uh, type of um, not Colorado but the sort of those the rocky desert that had like that bright orange redness you know and they had and they did a what was great about what they did is that the shots sometimes when independent filmmakers you know start shooting um, scenes a lot of it could be a lot of close-ups or medium close-ups because they got this the small camera and they're dealing with the depth of field. These guys on, on the film Jerry took their time to do a lot of ex, like expansive, um, wide, you know, scenic shots or interesting shots that way. So it definitely felt cinematic. And and this is was their feast, the feast, their first feature film for all of them, I think, pretty much. And the performances were great. And I can't tell you how charming the the two lead, uh, the three lead actors are. You have a little boy. You have um, uh, Jerry, the the character Jerry, and the girl, the love interest, and. It's it's exactly they knew exactly kind of what they were uh, aiming for, which is just like a, a very heartfelt, you know, um, under sort of under the radar indie. You know, it's, it's definitely like what you think like an indie film is supposed to be like, and they kind of capture that, and it was charming. It was really charming. So um, is it? I, a road trip really? What's that? Is it a road trip? No, no, it, it's uh, no, it's a. Uh, Jerry's character comes for you know he's he comes to Vegas and he's there and this he this this interesting young boy just invades his life that sets him up with this girl and that's it it's just a boy meets girl story but set in Vegas and these characters are just um, you know what they don't they don't have like the it's not like they're not set up as like the flash of like a like a normal like Hollywood studio where everybody you know looks chiseled like a CW episode or something, you know, it's like, um, 
they're they're just charming and interesting, and it just feels like a little indie film. But that's it. But the travel part comes from like the different scene scenery that they do when they have to like each scene. You know, I got to see more of Vegas than I expect knew about. You know, because they only went to the Strip like a few times, but the, they were on the outskirts of Vegas that looked made it look really beautiful. But it's uh, it's interesting. So they did a really great job, and um, and I really like what they did in terms of. Um, I really like what they did in terms of uh, just the package, like the, at the end, like how they're selling it. So they're doing all the right things. Now, the, the hard thing about any sort of independent um, drama or dramedy, the reason why um, you always hear the same thing, like why you need identifiable names or some sort of cast, you know, because that sort of gives identity or or, or something people can uh, hold on to. It's going to be it's it's that's why, like a horror genre, does well, is because people are looking for that primal need to be scared. Somebody needs this, they just want that good thrill ride. A drama, dramas and dramedies um, are very difficult to work out unless you have some very big name actors, because that's why, you know, a lot of them will do sort of these big tentpole movies in Hollywood and then look for these passion projects, because that's where they get a lot of their own. They're, they're more their creativity, artistic um, growth in these uh, small independent uh, dramas or whatnot. Obviously, you know, there's this film coming out, The Judge, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Duvall. You know, that's probably like more of like under the radar, under the radar, meaning that's it's going to be a drama, you know, or whatever. So, how does an independent drama compete, especially in the marketplace? And so, the only way you can really compete is if you have built up that audience or built up sort of that um, um, cachet online so that, so that oh, I'm going to hold on for a second I'm going to echo um, hey David when you I was going to say when you go ahead and talk go ahead and just unmute yourself there you go so anyway um, real quick so um, to answer that question of like how does an independent filmmaker compete when they don't have a name cast? Well, the reality is is that the cast that you do have, you just have to make the you have to take the time to nurture uh, the, a fan base or people that might be interested in what you're doing, and then you create yourself. You kind of put yourself up in sort of that um, I guess pedestal of you have to become sort of the stars, so that when you market back to them. Um, and or reach out to them and communicate with them. You've already built some, um, you know, leverage and cachet to it. Um, that's why the YouTube generation is going to do so well. There's so many YouTube stars that are happening right now that most people um, in, the, in the mainstream media don't even know about. But you know, my daughter, being 12 years old, knows all all about them. So we're we're going to see very quickly there are going to be those types of star uh, personality types. That are going to end up uh, surpassing what, what is being basically broadcast out to us via the Hollywood system. So there is a way to do it, but you, it's just you have to you know work towards it. So they could do something where their actors and their cast, um, you know, reaches out to the community uh, or looking for the audience, um, maybe just in Vegas, um, this starting locally first, and then um, getting that notoriety. 
to, to drive them back to their site. And the great thing about their site is that they've done a really good job of making it clean so you know exactly what you're getting into. And if they've established sort of a connection with an audience that are, is following them, they can convert the sale. And that's sort of kind of how you have to do it. And you just have to price it out. Like, you know, our film costs this much. Like, how much... Do, what is going to what do we think is going to be a success point? Is it just making our money back, or do we need to make double our money to be considered successful? Things like that. But those are just metrics and uh, conversions, and you know why they keeps telling us to build an audience. Um, but it takes time and kind of knowing exactly how we provide value to that audience. So let me jump over here real quick to uh, this slide share. Uh, slide share this I couldn't they call it presentation okay so um, yes film marketing fries so here's the take this is the only thing you guys need to take away from today's episode is number one you want to simplify your website if you saw the the door of the movie website it was very clear you knew exactly what kind of movie it was it offered he offered you a contest to enter he showed you where you can watch the trailer. He showed you where you can buy it or get, you know, pre-order it on iTunes. And there was a blog component, you know, so it was very simple. And Jerry was very simple. The guys at Dream Street Limited, you knew exactly what it was. Here's a trailer. Um, you know, here's a, a opt-in to get part of the newsletter and you can, you know, check out their blog and check out their store. So they really simplified it. And then, you know, obviously you can do a contest giveaway. If you're going to release your film, give more value to what it's worth, you know, and he, uh, and Patrick's doing a great job of packaging his film with other films. So he's, he knows the targeted audience he's going for people that like the horror suspense thriller films. And would they be willing to like get that bundle package? Um, and then if you're going to go on say iTunes, um, you know, you want to encourage the early rating and review prior to releasing an iTunes. So you have to create a system in place, a launch group in place that you uh, urge or um, you convince or give value to make sure that people are going to give you, um, uh, you know, that ratings and review prior to releasing it. So, because once you, you know, got, you have, I think iTunes in terms of film, we're going to have, I have to look into that exactly, but I do know for podcasts, you have like eight weeks to be part of the new and noteworthy. Uh, the film, um, option may only be worth four. You only only have four weeks or two weeks to be part of the new noteworthy. Who knows? So you got to really take advantage of that launch sequence. And the last thing is offer bundle package options, just like the guys at, uh, for the film, Jerry, as I showed you, just give that comparisons because you want whoever's coming to your site to, you know, make that decision. Like, am I willing to pay the low end or, you know what? It's not that much more to get the, you know, the mid range, uh, cost, and uh, you know, go from there. Okay, so let's see here. Oh, before we go, I'm going to stop this real quick. I th and I was about to get to David, so I'm going to uh, send it back to him. <laughs> so he's going to come back in. He should be able to pop back in with no problem. So um, as I wait for David, I'll show some of his work because I think it's worth it as before he gets on, on board here. Okay, here we go. Mm, da, 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 da. And let's screen share this puppy. Let's see some of his work. Yes. Okay. So when David gets back in, 
first let me say I gotta tell him like no problem. See you soon. Live live hangouts, man. Okay. Okay, so here's his work. This is great. He's out in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, but his work kind of reminds me like he should be part of like the scene in like Portland where I live or, you know, San Francisco or New York. I really love sort of like, you know, he's got the, uh, look at these photos. This is awesome. This Lego hand, you know, uh, this is the work that he has. Oh, I think he's back. Hold I on. am back. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, hey, I'm showing off your work now. So, oh, thank you so much. I recognize that lady. <laughs> I was saying that it's it's fascinating. I really like. Oh, what do you got? Here we go. Uh, I love this series of work you did with uh, the Scream Works, the Scream Queens. Um, this retro, you know, um, like the '50s style like vintage horror. That one's a ripoff of an EC Comics cover, the very famous one that. Um, was presented to Congress, uh, William Gaines. Uh, I yes, name. I remember that. You know, those were pretty gnarly. <laughs> yeah, and not everything is ripped off of something else, but the the aesthetic was something that a lot of people could instantly get. Um, when I had this in a gallery, I had pop popcorn. I even made a soundtrack to go with it on a, on I, iPad GarageBand. You have a string section mm -hmm. and theremins and things like that, so it's very simple to just knock out like 30 minutes worth of music that got played in the loop. And um, the popcorn plus the music plus the smell plus the, the pictures, uh, I did my best to put you in the... The mood. In the yeah. mood, yeah. And at the end of that um, show, we have a film bar that... Ha it's kind of like a retro theater slash bar that... Um, they had a collection of old trailers, things like The Tingler, and, and mm -hmm. I'm trying... I can't name any of the others off the top of my head because they're so B and C level uh, movies, but they had a, a night of these old horror film trailers to close out the show. Nice, nice. So what's really cool about what you got going on here with your work is, um, I'm going to pop back over here, is when we talked or we connected, um, you know, you, you began to do some uh, awesome music videos so that's part of your portfolio up there you know mm -hmm. and um, as we talk about for what film troop is about you know this is part of the film marketing Fridays but what what filmmakers really need to know is like what's what should they really be marketing yes they have to market their film but the big secret is that all your money pretty much comes from um, teaching people what you did and you mentioned that people um, were really interested in, in this, your artistic styling of your photographs, photography, that they were like, well, how do, how do I do that? And so, and, you know, you're like, you, you put a course together and uh, you start selling that and you realize this is, this is funny. Like the, the, the sharing of the knowledge is where the wealth comes in, but you, then you turn it, you invest back into yourself to produce more work to, and the work that you produce is essentially you know, to some extent, like content marketing. It's just you you have content that markets what you're doing, so people are attracted to it. Then they decide, go, I want to know, I want to know how you did that. How did you, how did you get that look, or how do I make how did I make photographs look like that? And I'd be willing to take your workshop. You know, oh, they're pretty cheap, but I have a lot. I, I teach at um, four or five places. 
at once, and there are different age levels. I do uh, some kids' art workshops. I try to convert that to photography. It couldn't happen in that particular venue. Um, but there, there's a lot of people who are trapped by their jobs, and photography and creativity in general feed their soul, but photography happens to be the uh, most immediate means because everybody has a camera, at least on their phone. And if you want to... If you work a nine-to-five job and you want to be a painter, there's there's higher hurdles than you say. Well, I'm interested in being creative with a, a camera, and I should say a video camera too. Although it's the I think the editing part um, that freaks people out. A lot of people, if they're just taking a photo and they're using photo apps or something like that, then then the barrier of knowledge um, is lower. Yeah. But I originally went to a graphic design school and I didn't like it. It was um, the kind of stuff that was very commercial, and you know, if you're if you're very creative, you want to stick to your vision, and the goal would be have people pay you for your vision. But the graphic design school was teaching you how to make cereal boxes and things like that. So um, I got out of that, and and I've always wanted to make a lot of money with photography. On the other hand, when I do families, when I do something that's remotely corporate um, events and things like that, then I don't think I'm any better than somebody who does it and enjoys it. <laughs> so um, it's very hard, say, if you're doing a, a, a family shoot to be super creative because you're dealing with elements that are out of your control, which are children, right? Yeah. And it'd be like, well, I'm going to make a movie, and I'm just going to use my, you know, anybody who's my neighbor, whether they have skills or not. It's not going to happen. So, um, as I've been making pictures that that I'm creatively interested in, there's not a huge market for that. Um, the the stranger you are, the smaller the market is. You might say, oh, well, it's it's distinctive and it's memorable, but. Um, I mean, the reality of photography is it's weddings and uh, yeah. senior portraits. Those are the things, <laughs> and, and they're not meant to be super distinctive. They're meant to fit in this very narrow field. And I would also say uh, corporate events, corporate headshots, stuff like that. But So yeah. since I could make less money on my art, but it caught the eye of people, um, I was able to build some courses around that. And uh, it's pretty interesting when you, you get sort of a um, dedicated following, too, that they'll keep taking your classes because they like what you make. They aren't necessarily going to buy what you make, but they're they're buying the ancillary products, which I think ties into the Film Trooper aesthetic. Yeah, and it's really, that's the secret. And we were talking earlier in the, sort of the green room before we hit uh, the broadcast live. Um, I saw this in a lot of other industries. I remember um, dabbling into real estate investing, and I could see that you can make some money flipping a house or two. You can make you know five thousand, twenty five, whatever. The concept was fairly straightforward. Um, but behind the curtain, <laughs> the reality is a lot of the people making a lot of the money were those who were teaching the the education, the courses, and. Um, and I saw that, and I remember um, one of the, the books that got me kind of into this world of like entrepreneurship and business and marketing 
was I was following all these people who were teaching internet marketing, but they kept referring back to the book uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so I read that, and I could see what that did. It sort of revealed the realities of the business world. And, um, and it's interesting about that, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, is that he built an empire off the rich dad, poor dad. He built a board game that's sort of like the next iteration of the Monopoly game, but he sold it at a really high price, at $99 or whatever it was, to create a community to start discussing the difference about uh, wealth and cash flow. But then he created, he, he partnered up with some company that was famous for putting on these like uber crazy seminar, teaching seminars around, uh, the, around the world. And so you have all these people that go through the training that be sort of the, the minions or representatives of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But they, you know, this, this is during a time like the late 80s or I'm not sorry, like the mid-90s where it was still, it was revealed there were some swarmy sort of tactics in the teaching process. It's so funny because it, there's a lot of great value that comes out of his book. And you can see that where he makes a lot of the money is in these courses, these educational courses that come to town, you know, every other month. Like this, you know, this workshop is all about stocks, or this workshop is all about real estate. And they, you know, they get people to buy in uh, for that weekend, and then if then they try to upsell you to this ridiculous you know, course for another week or something. And we're talking about like people throwing down, you know, five hundred bucks for a weekend, or then all of a sudden they want you to spend $10,000 to $25,000. So that's how he built his sort of empire. Um, but it's interesting too, because I think a couple years ago, or a year or two years ago, he had to file for bankruptcy for one of his companies. But that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what rich people do, is like they put everything into uh, a LLC or an S-Corp, C-Corp, a, a, a legal entity that sort of protects your, your business dealings. So if something happens, you're kind of free of responsibility if it doesn't work out and it doesn't affect your personal income or, or that kind of stuff. So it's, I thought it fascinating that he was actually applying what he was teaching when uh, one of his divisions or something didn't work out. What that did was that it showed like he wrote a book that did well, but all the majority of the money came in later, which is the teaching. And so now we have a new iteration of uh, of entrepreneurs that are doing that. They will show you what they have done, um, maybe some moderate success out of it, but then they teach you because that's where they're making you know, their money you know, hand, hand over fist. And so that's what you're doing. You have to, your artwork is still your artwork. You got to just, because that's you as an artist, just need to express yourself and just make it. So you make your videos, and, but really what's going to happen, I think, is going to become. Um, you know that's your advertisement. That's your content marketing because you want to have, like you said, a business in place that just does the teaching. Because people want to know, they want to know how you did that, and they want to see, can I also do something like that? You know, because and it's consistent too. It's uh, kind of like a band goes on tour because they can't make an album every two months. You know, yeah, that's just not realistic. And I, I, I can say, okay, these dates for the next five months. This is when money can come in, regardless of whether artwork actually sells, whether I get booked for shoots or not, um, whether I win some prize, which is not something that's happening. But, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, whether I have a gallery show or not, because I don't necessarily know that five months down the road. But I have to be able to turn to my family and say, okay, there's, well, I know money will come in on this day because that's when the class starts, and. And most of the places they don't get canceled occasionally, but that's those are the ones that are marketed the least by the um, 
by the companies that I work with, uh, City of Chandler, City of Tempe, there's an art center in Mesa that I work at. And um, what's also helpful is these aren't independent workshops run out of my house or anything. They're affiliated with a city rec program, well, three city rec programs, an art center, um, other institutions, and they pay for the brick and mortar. And uh, sometimes I get paid workshop fees, so it's per head you know, a certain dollar amount per person, and other times it's an hourly wage, and uh, I don't begrudge either. I, the workshop one has the potential to make a lot more money than an hourly wage, but um, I'm just grateful to have some consistent income because there are certain months in Arizona where it is completely dead, and those would be the summertime months. It's waking up in October, and it's going to, you know, uh, art sales if you do an art walk or or people booking shoots, it'll be consistent October through December, and then January and February it tapers off um, because people have wasted all their money in Christmas time. <laughs> yeah. And then in March you get a little pickup either because people are getting their taxes or it's uh, we we have a phenomenon called snowbirds, which are people from Minnesota and Canada come down, especially Canadians, and uh, I'm not just the only one saying this, but they have a lot of oil money. And oh, no, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They come down for the the winter months, and they buy art, and they they don't have much else to do besides, you know, enjoy life during those summer, or, I'm sorry, our, uh, our winter months. Yeah, so yeah. They, they kind of generate the economy of, of all the arts in Arizona, if not all, all of Arizona, uh, you know, the restaurants and the resorts, uh, Golfing, yeah. My, uh, um, well, we're up here in Portland. We see the same thing. We see the advertisements during the uh, winter months. So basically, like January to uh, March is um, like these weird dead months up here, where it's just people just need to get away. So it's Palm Springs, it's Hawaii, you know, uh, it's Arizona. Uh, there's so many people up here that has some connections to Arizona. But like I know you're saying, I have a buddy who um, plays a lot of golf. You know, does a lot of business uh, with his friends up in Canada, and they love to party, they like to drink, they love to, <laughs> they love to um, play golf. And like you said, in Arizona, has a lot of golf courses, and so that totally makes sense. And it's funny they brought that up, but it's really great, interesting. Cause you've had, you know, some you're having some success, but you know, one of the key things for any entrepreneur, you know, or film trooper, anybody, is we want to get to that place where we have like predictable value or like where your system has some predictability like so you can count on it you know um, and you do that by understanding like how many you know people have signed up for your workshops and can you take your workshops and can you turn it into uh, an online course of something so where you might just be teaching people in the area um, or but how can you turn that into a very effective online um, experience and then you can have the whole world at your disposal. So it's you're doing the same thing. You're just going to uh, perhaps use a, a different medium to share your your knowledge, and but then the numbers just change. Because like say if you you know you're used to maybe getting 20 people per month, you know at an X amount of dollar uh, per head, and that you know gave you some predictable income to share your knowledge, share your artwork, share your process. But then if you can if there's a way to utilize if you're not already doing it. Um, some other sort of digital means to bring it to the online world so that it translate that that in-person experience 
is also transformative for those who are on the online experience. And there, all of a sudden, then you start working on your content marketing um, uh, through the you know on online, so that somebody out in Australia is just really digging what you did, you know, and then is willing to pay for whatever you did, your course. And that's yeah. honestly, that's really is what make a lot of these online entrepreneurs, you know, you know, I say rich, but doing very well. Um, there are artists I've seen, um, musicians and um, you know, fine artists and singers and uh, some filmmakers that are beginning to do this as taking their what they know and then putting into an online space because they're trying to get the greater numbers. And then the 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 holy grail for a lot of online entrepreneurs is having some sort of re they said predictability, but reoccurring subscription or membership. If you look at Netflix, that's pretty much all it is. It's a subscription-based company. So they have to consistently have a you know they have a huge huge subscriber base, right? So mm -hmm. each subscriber is giving them what you know whatever ten bucks, twenty bucks a month, and that you know you do the math yourself, you can see how much money they're generating. So they they have to stay in business by uh, making sure they're cutting the right deals or creating original programming or like they just did open to a new market uh, slowly into like the European markets and increase the subscription. Um, membership, the number of people. Well, independent artists um, and filmmakers could do the same thing on a small scale. Um, the famous um, blog post that was put out, I don't know, four years ago or something uh, by Kevin Kelly, uh, A Thousand True Fans. The, con the concept there is each artist, individual filmmaker, artist, you know, photographer, musician, you just need to like earn your a thousand true fans that you're going to provide them a hundred dollar value every year. You know? Um, there was an article, I can't remember who the guys were, they um, you know they were YouTube stars and they did a crowdfunding to just to make sure they could raise like a hundred thousand dollars to so they can support their YouTube habit. You know, so they were able to basically crowdfund like a just a thousand people that are willing to give them a hundred bucks for that year so they can keep doing their art so they can keep producing the kind of videos they were producing um, yeah there's a, a service called patreon yes which I tried yeah didn't get anybody catching it um, the guy who founded it was a YouTube musician and he did a TED talk not a big fan of the TED talks to be honest They're, I don't know they just feel kind of creepy <laughs> and condescending <laughs> but um, uh, but in his talk, he did lay out how years ago he was able to earn significant money. I think it was twenty grand uh, with his girlfriend or wife, whatever. The, the band is Poplamus, I think. Poplamus, and they were just doing goofy covers of of uh, of teen pop kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but YouTube changed their terms of service, and they couldn't generate that income anymore, and even if it was. Millions of views there, yeah. uh, and they had ad revenue in the beginning, but because the terms of service had changed, right, they weren't earning enough to continue. And you see that with almost every social network, where this is great, this is great, and then <laughs> you know they're going to change something. Instagram tried about two years ago, and uh, didn't take, you know, but they were going to use photographs of your children at McDonald's in ads for McDonald's. Yeah. So you know, you unwittingly would be sponsoring. McDonald's, um, and I'm trying. Uh, some of the other oh, Tumblr is currently trying to um, read the brands in the photos in the content you post. So they'll like try and 
pick out, I don't know, the mug on your back shelf. Right. That's the or the cube, mug. and they'll say, oh, he likes cubes, and they'll <laughs> insert Rubik's Cubes uh, type advertisements. Um, but I, so Patreon's not working for me. I don't have those kind of fans. The fans that I do have are that are local. They're willing to take classes, thankfully. But um, and especially since my classes are way cheaper than community college, I'll tell you yeah. that. Yeah. And I do private home lessons where I'll, I'll stand behind people and hover over them and tell them, you know, you shouldn't use a wide-angle lens on a model and help them frame, help them edit the, the pictures. Um, the next thing I'm going to try, and we'll we'll give these things about six months and see if they take or not. But uh, there are artists who do live streams while they create, and like live painting, and people sit there and watch it at home. Kind of strange to me, but um, I've witnessed it at art walks where if anybody is sculpting or glass blowing, working with fire, you have a crowd of people who just stand in awe. And yeah. and as a creator, I'm like, well, he's just sculpting. <laughs> it's not that big a deal, yeah, yeah. you know. But um, but I guess to those who who wish they were artists or or you know have more of a hobbyist interest in these kinds of things, it's it's like watching magic. And I have to make this stuff anyways. Uh, photography is a little different. If it's a model shoot, I guess I could do a live stream cast. It'd be kind of embarrassing. Um, but the mixed media stuff I do, when I do uh, uh, even the Lightroom or um, any of the, the kind of video editing, you can live stream your screen. You know? or, or you can record it and uh, do a little time lapse, speed it up, put that on your, your live stream channel. I guess it wouldn't really be live. Um, yeah. But all that content, it's it's like uh, I have to do the work anyways. Yeah. You know? If I'm making a, a sculpture or I was going to do some claymation later tonight, um, as long as I'm making this thing, I might as well make a tutorial. And the tutorial can only, you know, it, it one minute, two minutes long, but it's food for the YouTube channel, it's food for the Instagram feed. And in the era of people getting into your persona as much as they do your art, they, they want the behind-the-scenes content. They want that DVD commentary-style stuff. And, and I don't um, believe in keeping secrets. I feel like there's a lot of... Uh, I don't know if it's this way in the film world as in the photography world, but if somebody has a particular look to their work and someone goes, oh, how did you do it? They're like, well, I can't tell you that, you know, that's that's trade secret. Like they're they think they're Coca Cola or something. Yeah. And the truth is, that if you if I told you how I edited my photos and you went out and same type of camera, you know, follow instructions step by step, you're still going to get a different result. Your point of view is going to be different. Your willingness to uh, sit at the computer and do what I do, it's they're going to be totally different results. And and um, potential students are not your competition. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's people <laughs> like, get away from me. You know. <laughs> it's actually funny that you brought that up. It's, um, first of you were talking about, you know, the change of services for YouTube that happened to the, uh, the you know, uh, the Pampamoose. Um, they say, they, they recommend an online business to never build a business on rented land. So, like, if you're going to build a film, a movie fan page or something um, on uh Facebook for your, you know, that's it's only that's only one part of it. You still have to drive your traffic back to your main sites, like the like we showed earlier, the door, 
and uh, and Dream Street Limited. You know, they have a, a home base. You can still utilize Facebook uh, to create that interest, but you but your marketing sort of strategy plan always has to keep directing them to your home base. And um, and they always also mention that the really the power of all this stuff is why you build it is you're trying to collect an email list or a list. You really just you need a database of people that are true fans of yours that you have a, a personal way of communicating to them. And right now email is still that way. I mean yes we get a lot of you know we sign up for stuff and you begin to see whether or not it's like spammy or you just delete it or unsubscribe from it. But if you have an opportunity to be um, provide a lot of intimate sort of value to that list that you create, um, you know that that's where the the real gold is or the real potential of you know building your fan base and also building a sustainable living from it. Um, because there's nothing really swarmy about it. Like if you can create a hundred dollar product per year or uh, some value that's worth a hundred dollars to one person um, every year, and if you can grow your list, uh, very enthusiastic, loyal um, evangelists to just a thousand people, you know it's a hundred thousand dollars a year, which is more than enough that for an artist to live off of. You know, um, so where you may not like. So you really it is you have all the stuff in place. You have you have the artistic skills. You have you've already done enough uh, workshops and training to to know what that's like uh, to see the transformation, to see the results from your students in a local, in a real life setting. It's now just needs to like like you said. You're I guess the next step of like well how do I evolve this to an online platform and two. How do I get more traffic? That's always the same thing. How do I get more traffic? Basically, how do I get people to know more about what I'm doing? Um, there's an old saying like, if you want to be, you know, the leader of the parade, just step up in front of the parade. You know, so instead of like being the back of the parade, trying to work your way up to the front, you just jump up in front. Meaning that if there are uh, groups or communities that you think would be enthusiastic about what you do or wanting to know how you do it. Um, there might be some people, what they call other influencers in your space, um, uh, in terms of the the marketplace that you can reach out to and, and certain just strategically build up that working relationship to eventually offer what they call like a joint venture. So, say somebody in your space is really huge in this type of uh, type of uh, photography. I, I can name one off the top of my head. His name is Scott Kelby. Okay. Is that name familiar at all? No, uh, not to me, but I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Yeah. Is it a K or C? Sites that are really well known for um, online training courses in photography and videography. And uh, not that I have taken the time to write a personal letter to him, but um, they, those, those places exist. They have trainers that are consistent so you find the guys that you kind of like and yeah and I um, you know communicated with a few through social media but I, one thing I found um, is if you're a consistent presence over the years it's not just the layman that notices you it's institutions and it is people like Scott Kelby's crew and so on and right. so forth so the way and, to, it's awesome because to, the way to speed that up is essentially um, one just be a true fan of Scott Kelby, right? Mm -hmm. And then you look, and what they what they recommend is figure out what sort of value you can offer to uh, Scott himself. 
and and goes whatever value that is if you can also strategically you know know that it can be effective and be valuable to his audience so say so say he has a larger you know fan base or following how do you get in front of that parade so you just have to give up something free sometimes yeah and you see this in the show shark tank a lot a lot of these new entrepreneurs coming in they're trying to they have this product inventor or whatever and they always start off like I you know I want fifty thousand dollars I'll give you ten percent equity and the sharks are like no no I need more there has to be this place when you're like you know I'm starting out I'd be willing to give thirty five percent to almost fifty percent away what I'm doing because I know that what I'm gonna get the value I'm gonna get out of this is um, you know influx of capital I'm going to get a huge connection to people that I don't have connections to that if I can just make this first product or business work in the long run I can you know I can become the next entrepreneur shark or whatever so what they call it in in online uh, world or other business world is just the joint venture thing so you just have to figure out like I can see you trying to figure out how can I be a true fan of Scott's how can I offer something value to him that it's worth taking notice that could possibly be presented to his followers or say you build a, a, a unique course that's something that he's not quite covering but that he, it's a need that he can use and if you come up with something like that uh, and then what you do is to promote it together and you ha you're willing to give away like almost 70 like 100 percent to 50 percent of it usually it's like joint ventures either 50 percent or, or straight up 100 percent because you know that you are giving something away to gain this influx of, of notoriety of association of um, either influx to be part of uh, his group of people that follow him to follow you so you look at it in a long term long tail way Knowing that you'll be able to generate uh, revenue later down the line, um, you know Tim Ferriss, who wrote this book, The Four Hour Work Week. Um, you know he did this. He wrote this book and he well, he hustled. He went to all the influencers in this space of business and online marketing and all this type of stuff, and he just pound the pavement until he got it out there and he changed the the concept. And so he was able to get in front of other people's audiences. Through this, this this method, and um, it's still a proven way to do it. But it, it there's nothing really swarming about it. It's just simply, are we providing value to the right group of people? And if we don't, if you know, if we're trying to speed up our progress, how do we get there? Um, we get there by partnering up with the, the people that are have that have spent the last few years doing so. But the only way we can get in is if we're offering value to that person as well. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's something there. I mean, like so you have all the elements there, and it'd be really exciting to see um, where you take it. And I, I love to help out. Or, you know, we can you know take a look at what you're doing, and, and we can you know kind of craft it together as well. Yeah, um, I, I one of the things I've noticed about a lot of the other people involved in model photography both locally in Los Angeles and other places and, and and I would assume in the filmmaking realm and certainly musicians if you create a singular product and you, it doesn't sell um, they become devastated or they're like this oh this didn't work I, you know this was a failure because this one particular basket that I have all my eggs in didn't didn't take off and I mean if you you don't have to be a small independent person 
to put your eggs in many baskets. Uh, uh, blockbuster movies still have product placement. You're like, couldn't they have made that movie without having a Coca-Cola sign get destroyed or something? And the yeah, answer yeah. is probably not. You know, music videos um, today for bands like Tegan and Sarah is one I can think of. Uh, mm -hmm. where they, they made uh, uh, heavy use of a particular brand of cell phone. You realize they wouldn't have that music video if they didn't include the cell phone. And I, I've made work that had uh, crickets come out of it, but I took that work to an art store and said I can teach a class on how to do this particular mixed media thing. They said, okay. You know, and, and there's so many different avenues for earning income that aren't the obvious route. That uh, for a photographer, the obvious route is I want people to pay me to take pictures. Well, there will be times when that won't happen. And what, what else can you fall back on besides having a day job that is not related whatsoever to um, photography? And you can sell prints. You can edition things. You can, there, there are smarter ways to do things, too, I should say. Um, one of the best books, Art and Fear, uh, I would recommend it for anybody who's creative in any respect. Um, David Bales is a writer. Does that sound familiar to you at all, Art and Fear? I think I've actually heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay. Um, so we got... Um, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was going to say, um, yeah, it's... You're right. There's a lot of avenues. Like you said, there's... Um, that's the one thing I learned about, you know, working for a corporation was that all my eggs were in the one basket, the corporation. So when you get out, uh, being an independent freelancer or an independent artist, you do have the ability and the freedom, more freedom than you uh, realize, to diversify, to keep, you know, to keep those income, income streams coming in. But to juggle around correctly so that you can still get sort of the creative um, satisfaction of, of producing something is the world of teaching or teaching others is very rewarding itself. Um, I definitely am encouraged by what's going to happen in the future in general of all business, especially online and especially in the world of filmmaking, which is the world of filmmaking, um, it's for many years we're sort of admire these film auteurs, you know, the, through history. But it's very sort of self-absorbed, self-centered, self-proclamating, like, ah, you know, here I am. Um, and, and Orson Welles being the... Uh, <laughs> one of the pinnacles of the auteurs, uh, he had a lot of unfinished films because he couldn't pull the financing together. I don't know if it was his personality in, in particular, but it seems to me not that you have to compromise the film, but there's there's more than one way than going to somebody and saying, I need money to finish this. I want to make it my way. Um, if they said you had to have some Jello pudding pops in it, <laughs> you know, if that meant getting it done and it was within reason of the film, it wasn't King Lear or something eating a Jell-O pudding pop, I think um, uh, letting go of some of the ego would have allowed those projects to get finished. Yeah, it's... Um, I step on your words, but that's the first <laughs> thing I think of when I think of auteurs. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, what I... The whole... The way Film Trooper set up is the idea is like something like this. If the movie The Cube can be made for $500 with no crew, then the barrier of entry to make a feature film, and I, I really do enjoy the, the, the artistic challenge of telling a long narrative format a story. Now, it could be broken up. 
into mm-hmm. smaller web webisodes or something like that to like a mini miniature version of like you know um, True Detective or something like that if you're going to do something like that. But um, the whole process was like, okay, we can lower the barrier so we don't necessarily if you if it doesn't cost you that much to produce your art, then you don't necessarily have to compromise by you know taking on product placements and things like that. Um, sponsorship. Yeah, perhaps not the best example I could think of. No, but, no, but it's good. But no, this is good to. Bring, bring up because sometimes people have to figure out like that's been the hardest thing about the filmmaking process is that you know an independent author could pick up a pen go on a computer write a book and now sell it right musicians the, the cost of equipment has come down so much they can just make an album on their laptop you know photography has just exploded in terms of the tools filmmaking always always felt like you need a lot of people a lot of collaboration a lot of money to execute a film product but that is no longer the case. So, like, it just really comes down to the power of the story. If, as long as you, you know, understand of how to make your film at a very, very low, low cost, and to allow yourself to to have that expressive or creative freedom, because that way, like this thing, I okay, the cube, I knew going into it, I was doing everything wrong, everything wrong in terms of everything that I learned. I didn't build an audience. In, it wasn't a very specific genre. It was a, like a cross genre, so it had no stars. Like it had nothing, it had nothing going for it. All it was was an opportunity to just get something out of my head onto uh, this format uh, of film or digital film and put it out there to say I create. Now I have something of creation, but I do know very well that reason why it would never really explode on a bigger market. Um, because I don't have a lot of the elements in place, but that's okay because I didn't, you know, lose my shirt on it either. I didn't like invest, you know, my, my parents' money or something like that, or you know, and friends' money to the point where I'm so stressed out, like I'll never get the the money back. There's this liberation of being able to make something for so little and still have be creatively satisfied from it. Now, the the interesting thing on the business front of uh, of all this stuff is the the one key thing that I I'm finding out that I want to apply is like that's different than what I've been taught as like a filmmaker of the past, which is the way the traditional filmmaking or film business system works is a very uh, scarce mindset. So it, it it breeds scarcity, and that's how they operated because it's only a, an elite few that get to work, make uh, films for the big studios. And they, you know, they only have so many um, screens that they get to show on the, the, you know, on the movie theaters. So it's always built in the scarcity mindset. So what happens is that when a filmmaker, you know, goes through the process and they don't quite get their film made, or somebody else is getting the luck, or you know, it breeds sort of this envious jealousy, you know, because we feel like that piece of pie is so val- you know, precious that we that there's only a few people going to get it. That those who can't get it, it's just they're, you know, it's crushing, you know, it crushes them. But now if you have this perspective of abundance, which is what I'm finding in the world of internet marketing, internet business, is that no one really feels like they're competing with each other. They they actually help each other. The difference is like you and I could be both photographers and we both have very similar styles. The, the difference is, is somebody just like, I just really like the way David does his teaching or I like his personality, I like his blog, like whatever the content that he creates his style of doing it um, 
I just like I prefer. And mm -hmm. Scott's style is a little different. He, you know, the people that follow him, even though it's similar in fashion, he has a different style that uh, maybe I don't follow, or I follow in a different way. They, you know, it, it meets different needs. And so you have that abundance mindset, like you were talking about, not being afraid to share and be transparent. Then, as filmmakers moving forward, as artists moving forward, we just have to, um, as I call it, like picking your ideal fan. Like, who, what group of people do you want to hang out with? Like, who, who do you wish to be your most ideal people to like be fans of your work? Then you can, you know, really flesh out who those people are, and then specifically try to market and find and and mine for those people. Because what you want, what you want to do, is then just always ask yourself the questions like, hey, it's not about me. I possess certain talents that I can offer, but how, what value can I offer to these wonderful group of people that I would love to serve? And so now it puts you in a place of, it puts you in a better mindset because if you're in a mindset of everything is, there's no scarcity, it's, it's a world of abundance, and now I just have to be someone who provides great value to this group of people. And like, and and the way I do that is I engage with them in terms of either my list that I created or somebody else's net, social network platform or anything like that, where I'm engaging in thoughtful conversation and asking questions about what they would love to see, and then then you kind of figure out like, I think I can provide this type of wonderful value to this group of people, and utilize my my talents to do so, and that's what I you know I hope to you know plan to do with the next feature film. Is you know be very specific what I'm doing, but knowing that I have a goal in mind, which is like, how can I best serve this group of people, and you know not make it so much about like check me out or check out this stuff or whatever it might be. It's like no no no, let me serve you. Like here's some things that you guys are wanting. I think I made something that answers it or fulfills this fantasy or fulfill whatever it might be. Um, that's more. I don't know. It it feels more exhilarating that way. You feel more liberated knowing that. Don't worry about it. I just got to serve this small group of people and do the best I can to, to give them the best value. And then all that other stuff will work out as long, you know, as long as I make sure I have the proper things put in place. Like we showed earlier today, um, how these uh, two films have properly sort of built their website to do the, 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 you know, the proper way of collecting emails or presenting stuff out to their marketplace. The only thing now is to, they have to decide how they're going to supersize their effort with their work. And what audience there and people fans are going to be um, uh, benefited from their their body of work or whatever it is, and so that's how you know that's just like I don't say semantics, but once we figure out sort of the basics of how these internet business systems work, then we have create as creative people can just get back to the work the the work of being creative, and we can just get back to the the work of serving an audience, serving a fan base. Um, as opposed to being so much into our headspace and then pushing our art out to the world, so we're not pushing so much as we are pulling and serving. So I think that could be the benefit of an independent artist, where the old Hollywood system, the old systems of Hollywood, are very much like we make something, we push it out to you, we advertise to you, we have disruptive advertisement techniques to push it out to you, and that's changing so rapidly in front of us because. You know, we all are so familiar with advertising now. We know we can smell, you know, BS a mile away, and what's not authentic. So, so that's sort of I think 
things are needed to go, and I think that's where what we're having this discussion. But you, the most important thing you brought up in this whole whole thing when we got together was education. It's just teaching. Now here's a funny thing: the the cube at the very end uh, or the very beginning of the film, I have um, it's uh, the story of Buddha, and you know he Buddha goes into meditation for a week or something like that, and he comes back um, after reaching Nirvana, and the only thing he says is that the greatest gift to give your knowledge, to share it. So everything that we're trying to do is as old as like, the teachings of Buddha, um, but we just have to figure out a way to put the um, business system in place to monetize from it so that we can, you know, not be, you know, greedy, you know, super greedy money people, but the idea is you, you do need to support yourself and your family. Yeah, it's reality. It's, you can't... Um, you can't be so punk rock that you know, I don't want to make any money. I can't, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, forget about money. It's all for the art. And I, I feel like the people that might espouse that belief, um, they probably have a day job. They probably have. They, you know, they would. Everything that we've enjoyed in our lives, entertainment-wise and art-wise, um, the reason why it was brought to our attention is that there was some kind of system, it doesn't have to be the Hollywood system necessarily, but there was something in place and it involved transaction of bills. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, any of this DIY that, that's so punk rock and we can't have, uh, you know, don't pay us or anything, you've never heard of it. Yeah. Like, it exists, but it exists in somebody's bedroom on a tape or something. It's not, <laughs> it never made it to the public sphere. Well, I mean, we never grew up liking it. We never yeah. enjoyed it. So, well, we were, you know, if you go back to even the days of the Renaissance, you know, the art, the great art that we look at, it was all like, you know, sponsored, sponsored. by the church, and, and not so necessarily. I the wouldn't art. turn down sponsorship if it came my way, but I don't mind uh, sponsoring myself through ancillary products. I, I mentioned teaching, and or we've been talking about teaching. Um, I forgot you can even rent your gear out. Mm-hmm. Uh, People who own red cameras, I know that's a good ancillary income in Los Angeles. You know, oh, you got a red? Okay, well, you just cover the cost with your credit card for the, you know, in case you break it, drop it. But um, uh, there, there's a comedian named uh, Paul F. Tompkins who's famous within the the podcastosphere, and uh, he does a voice on that BoJack Horseman show on Netflix now. Okay, but he's he points out that. Um, in history before now, you really didn't have a chance to gather an audience because you'd have to go door to door on a stagecoach or in a, you know on a car on Route 66 or something. You had to be sponsored by some Uber corporation somehow. And now the world is potentially your audience. And as you're talking about true fans. Uh, if you're a fan of a particular genre, I had mentioned the Scream Queens kind of stuff, yeah. retro 50s horror that is fun kind of horror. It's not um, I spit on your grave type of horror. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, well, there's events that these people congregate to. There's websites. There's Forums are kind of a, a uh, lower form of communication nowadays, but, you know, there's um, there's poster art that's related to it. There's uh, the the local cinema I mentioned that has the uh, that show the old film trailers and they'll have like 
midnight marathons of old horror movies. All all these audiences that I might never have contact with because they're in other cities, they're there now. And you almost have no reason to not connect with them. Like, uh, in the past, before the internet, before social networking, I could say, oh, well, I don't have the money to go to Los Angeles. Well, I don't need to go to Los Angeles. I just need to, to... get a few of those people on Tumblr to start reblogging my stuff or, or you know, write a, an, e- an, an honest email, something that, you know, isn't a, a kiss-ass, but, like, you know, I really appreciate what you're making. I make similar stuff. Our aesthetics are, are the same, and they respond. And, and, uh, and Tumblr is my particular favorite social network, by the way. I don't know how, how yeah, useful yeah. it is for filmmakers, but... Uh, well, definitely, like... It's real easy to get featured or go viral on that compared to something like Facebook where they've in the last two years they've altered the terms just just like YouTube and now you have to pay to get your post seen by you know whether you have five thousand fans it says eighteen people have seen your post. Yeah. Something wrong there. But Yeah, definitely. So no it's some great stuff. I think that, you know, then weekly it won't explore this more about like well, how do you build how do you reach out to the audience? And like I said, you brought up a whole thing, the, the Scream Queen fans, that, that sort of the rockabilly style. Uh, like you, There's a whole subset, a niche audience that you'll find that, you know, if you go to like a, a, a vintage car show, you'll f- find those sure. type of people there. That, that become, right. Then they have, Masquerades, yes. Comic-Cons. I mean, there's as long as you're being genuine, you're making this stuff because you like it, and mm-hmm. it, um, like you can smell the phoniness when someone makes something, but they are they aren't really into it, or they don't get the details right. You know, um, now one of my favorite films is Black Dynamite. You seen that? No. I, oh my gosh! Oh, wait, I, but, this, is, this is an old one, isn't it? Uh, it is done entirely in the vein of an old mm-hmm. film, but it's only about four years old. Okay, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> okay. Um, I forget who the lead actor is. He also wrote it, and he might have directed it himself. Julia, oh my gosh! Ooh, okay, yeah. But everything's period perfect. They got um, soundtrack period perfect. There's scenarios where someone is supposed to be punching someone else, and they swap <laughs> the actor for a stand-in who's like clearly not him, much more muscular, you know. So it looks like he could win the fight, things like that. Right, right, um, right. You could tell. You could just feel the love of the whole cast and and crew for that era, that they got everything right and they didn't let little, uh, you know, they didn't have a modern car drive by in the background or anything. <laughs> Even the music stings. Um, the those kinds of sounds. It's totally perfect. And after they made the movie and they had the DVD and you know toured it at festivals and so on and so forth. Um, there's now a comic book of it, and I think there's a cartoon on Adult Swim. I could be wrong. Uh, and this is years later, too. They, they, it's, it's a cult film. It's actually the definition of a cult film. But they didn't just make the thing and let it die. I mean, they, it's, it's got legs, and who knows, there might be a black dynamite, too, in the um, years to come. But there might... Who needs it if they've got the cartoon and the comic, you know? Yeah. So here, here's here's where uh, we can wrap it up since it's been an hour and a half. This is a perfect place okay. to wrap it up. I'll, I'll point to the examples in the screen notes, uh, the show notes. But yes, you just hit on it. It's like they created this love 
for this genre of the, the black exploitation from the 70s and created this black dynamite and a film, like you said, that has then had all these ancillary products sort of come off it. Um, one of the, th the things that I, I always shoot to uh, is that Hollywood is not in the film business. They're actually in the business of licensed exploitation. And so then the artistic world, we have this discussion about transmedia. Like how can an audience share a deeper connection with your story world through various mediums? Is it music? Is it a book? Is it a film? Is it a video game? Or anything like that. So those are the artistic uh, methods. The world of business, they call it license exploitation because they're looking for ways to monetize that license in all different various formats. So transmedia is for the artist and the audience for a deeper connection, but for business it's license exploitation. And probably the greatest license exploitation in history is when George Lucas retained the rights to his Star Wars property um, and deferred sort of or just took a base fee for his directing fee because he wanted to retain all the toy rights and merchandise rights for Star Wars and that's what he built his empire from because you know when if you if anybody can you imagine if you own the rights to Star Wars what would you do with it you could do exactly what he did with it just exploit it make some <laughs> terrible prequels <laughs> well actually it's funny I I have a theory about that I think I brought this up um, I was on a, I was on a podcast. The theory is I've heard this before, which is actually great. This is a great point in contention. We're talking about audiences and serving audiences. Mm -hmm. Well, Lucas, rightly so, had created something out of nothing with this, the original Star Wars trilogy, and and basically built a religion of fans, loyal fans that just wanted that world. What he failed to do is what well, he he turned he failed to really serve his audience. Because he became like, wait a minute, this is my stuff. I can do whatever I want with it. But really what he did, he just made the most glorified Star Wars fan films. So like, you know, online they have like a bunch of like people just making Star Wars fans films. Yeah, there. there's a Netflix documentary just about that. Yes, <laughs> I saw that in like this. Very meta. <laughs> the film about fan films. <laughs> but there's a, such a vitriol behind it. But, but there's a lot of lessons to learn from that, which is we all can learn that from that, which is the Pixar guys... They knew once they made the Toy Story uh, movie that they created something that once you create something, the characters are no longer yours, really. You, when you release your artwork out to the world, it becomes part of the world and the, and the audience owns it. Those who become cherish it, those who show you the love and show all this fan depictions or things like that. So they went through the process of making the, the next two movies of the Toy Story world and they had a different mindset of being like, we have to share these characters we have and make sure we don't, you know, abuse it or abuse our relationship with the fans that have this emotional connection with it. And that's where I think the George Lucas went wrong with the, is uh, not really working t towards listening to the fan base or, or working that, which is encouraging for the next iteration because it's out of his hands per se. But... If you take a step back, really what it is, wasn't it? It's just a, the most expensive fan film. Like, you, if, it was ab, if it was advertised like, you know, George Lucas makes, you know, three fan films in the Star Wars universe. If it was, if it was promoted as fan films, like his fan film, people would be a little less forgiving, you know? Like, oh, that's kind of cool. They, they, they look and feel like fan films if you watch them today because yeah. they were all shot on green screen. They didn't have a lot of practical sets, and um, I am 
trying to work my way up into movies and films, but I'm I'm looking at things that that it take me out of a, a movie, whether it's an expensive Hollywood blockbuster or or an indie film. And one of the things is, well, we can do green screen effects, but it takes a lot of money to be like wet a workshop and make it look real. And also the um, the way that you position the camera, whether photography or video, when you're trying to relate uh, characters against the background. Um, if you're shooting against green screen, so many of the times they do this, They even if it's uh, one of those large warehouse type things where they can green screen the floor and the background, but, but in the case of the prequels, you'll notice the camera is always standing eye level. It doesn't move around. Where if you watch the things that were shot on practical sets, they'll have the cinematography is fantastic and they'll, they'll have the camera up in the corner of the room so you actually feel like you're there. I mean, you know, um, spacing the <laughs> famous cinematographer from Citizen Kane, but none of those shots are eye level. They're, they're all over the place and, and the cinematography tells a story the same way that a comic artist's drawings tell right. the narrative in yeah. a comic. And, uh, and that's what makes them look and feel like fan films to me is that the cinematography is limited because well, we want to put a bunch of stuff in the background and we don't know what's there yet, and the actors don't know what's there, so they don't have anything to act against, and they can't really feel like they're in, say, Jabba's Palace or something from Return of the Jedi, you know, a practical But we could do a full podcast on that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it feels fan-ish. Yeah. So I I look at it a little differently now. I look at it... um, I, all I say for George Lucas is there's so much tremendous amount of gifts that he has given the filmmaking world and the lexicon of mm-hmm. of imagination, including um, Pixar. Including uh, Pixar, he was the first one to organize them, and he's before he sold it to Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also everything we're editing, Final Cut Pro, the Avid, the Edit Droid. I mean, digital editing was created because George Lucas pushed for it, um, and um, you know. This, the the sound sky you know la- raising the level of sound quality with you know THS, THX, THX, um, sound quality but all these things that he did you know he gave so much to what we consider but it's funny that one thing if he had just honored the fans and 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 realized that the Star Wars was no longer his like he had to be much more of a servant to his fans and to that story world. Um, how different it would be, um, but you know, I, to his credit, I think he knew that, and he's a place in his life that he was able to hand out, sell over the license um, to property to Disney. That they are, put, you know, what's Disney doing? They're like, we are going to exploit the Star Wars license to the nth degree. We got movies, we got TV shows. We're going to, we're going to go crazy on this thing. But I think they're even filming it on uh, on actual film. Not, they're not doing digital cameras. Probably, the, yeah. You know, and, because they wanted to match the actual look. Those those subconscious qualities that people are like, I don't know why this looks different, but it looks different. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. You know, they're they're doing everything they can to match it up to what we subconsciously know and feel, which is great. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I don't know. Um, there, you know, it's always hard with those types of things because the expectations are so high. But it's great. It's the an- anticipation. So what we can wrap this up, but we can come away with all this stuff is like, I mean, we pretty much just laid out all the secrets. One, it's like exploit your own license. You know, use transmedia as a way to deepen your story world or your visual world if you're going to do that. 
but definitely exploit your licenses of all types so that you can benefit from it. And the other really key thing we talked about today is just, again, that famous blog post, a thousand true fans. Just that number is not that large. You just have to work your butt off to earn, you know, the, the you, you, need, you have to earn it. You have to earn and deliver value to a thousand people and you have to figure out what you give to them. Do you have something that's worth $100 per year? And that's it. So if you can keep it that simple, then you put yourself in that place of being a servant to those fans, but, you know, utilizing your skill set, your creativity, your, your, your talents to give to them and you know somehow the laws and how it works they will give to you and so you can make your living so hopefully we can see where you progress in terms of like you know see if we can't see if uh, those thousand through or thousand fans if you earn those you know thousand fans and move forward and uh, it'd be fascinating that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to build what I'm building here is to provide value to filmmakers in that respect to give a roadmap or, an or answer a lot of these things uh, that are in my head when I read you know other articles from other influencers that I follow like oh that's great information but now what I, I always feel like there's always this now what or how do you do that so now it's much clearer like what we're trying to do is serve a hundred thousand true fans it has nothing to do with any system it doesn't have to do with any like music system or the or the art world system or the film system in terms of the, like the traditional system we don't have to go there. Like our our directives are serve a thousand fans. That's it. Figure out a way to give them value and serve them, and you'll be fine. So that's the goal, and we can go further on that kind of stuff. But David, man, it's been fantastic meeting you in person, and really love your work and the conversation. I love talking shop, and uh, and it's one of those things like, gosh, we could talk for hours, but to yeah. try to keep it, you know, it's a Friday night. Well, keep it, and you got kids. I got, I got, you know, family to do. Yeah. My, uh, my wife works for Alaska Airlines, and uh, we go to Portland all the time. Like once oh. a month. Portland or Seattle. I look at the days I have off, and I look at the flight schedule, and I'm like, I'm gonna go. And cool. uh, I, um, I'm starting a, a documentary on the freelance models yeah. that I know, and and I think that's the kind of project that has legs because it has. Um, it's about a subculture that not a lot of people know about, but they ask about all the time in my classes. Like, you know, just wait. I don't know if you ever went to art school, but when you think about how they do life drawing classes yeah. and they 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 look at naked ladies and things like that. <laughs> so it has a it has sex appeal. It has interesting stories because, as you can imagine, their their lives are pretty unique. Um, and I happen to know a lot of them, and I happen to be friends with them, and and I think it's a good thing for visual presentation too it's not like something that you could really get across in just uh, a book format you need to see people and and uh, I'm gonna come up in Portland sometime the next month and start filming some interviews with a couple of the ones that are up there cool so, let's uh, and yeah and sure in photo Lucida, which is a major uh, that's in April though yeah, I don't know if you April know again photo Lucida okay it's the big photography um, portfolio review convention. Uh, the museum curators in the country are there. So I'm not one of the reviewers. I'm getting reviewed, but, <laughs> but um, you know, probably within the next month. I'm gonna go. I just gotta ask some people. Hey, are you free that day? Let me interview you half hour. Start collecting footage, and then start putting out a couple little trailers, and uh, and taking your advice. You know, I'm gonna 
build at least six months worth of buzz. I'm not going to just flop out products and, and have them go dead. You know? Yeah, exactly. Hey, here's, here's what's great what you just said. You listen to your customers, so the people that you teach at your workshops, and like you get these questions all the time, or just enough to get a taste of what people are interested in. And so now that's what you do. That's all we have to do is say you started with like 20 people in like your workshop and you get enough feedback. Well, who's to say if there's 20 people interested in what you're doing or possibly interested in that subject about freelance models, there's easily across the world another thousand that are interested. Again, that's that's the key because you've, you've harnessed a small group ask questions, listen to them, listen, 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 and then get creative about how you can offer something uh, or it opened up the floodgates creatively for you to provide some value to this one question. And if it's going to work for these 20 people locally, it can definitely work for a thousand people you know, across the world online. And I can definitely see something like this documentary that you were talking about putting it together. I can easily see it on, you know, like HBO picking it up or something. So you know, because they, sure. they it's salacious enough. I mean, yeah. um, on on a daily basis, uh, a model who does fashion art, all kind, all the the major genres, she'll get twenty emails asking to see her privates or if she shoots porn or you know, <laughs> this is this is the common thing and and um, put up from harassment of photographers. But they also get to travel the world, and as long as I have my wife's flight benefits. That's an advantage I have as long as I'm friends with some of these models and some photographers will let me document behind the scenes. That's an advantage I have. Um, I don't know any writers. I only know a few actors, so trying to go that route isn't likely to be a successful film project, but I, I feel like we all have some advantages one way or another. Maybe we got a weird cousin who's got a cool location. You know, Maybe his house is really creepy. So you can be like, hey, can I film a, a horror film in your house and I'll pay you, you know... I'll, Get you a pizza, <laughs> things like that. I mean, it's, it's trade yeah. for trade, and you you find what what things are currently available to you as you keep building them. And I know this is something you talk about on your podcast too. But as long as you're you're actually putting out stuff, then you can move to the next level. If you labor on something for years. Um, and you never put it out because you're still doing that screwdriver work, then you can never get better. You're only as good as one thing instead of making a few, you know, some things are good, some things are junk, but you learned lessons from them, so the next thing won't make those mistakes. Yep. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where you go with this, and I'm excited to connect the next time you're up in uh, Portland. And, uh, and we'll, you know... And give me he enough heads up that you're coming up because perhaps I'll right. try to introduce you to some other people to help your project out and we'll go from there. Oh, no problem, Scott. Thanks for letting me be on. Yeah, anytime. Whatever else yeah. is out there. Exactly. Uh, you might, yeah, they're probably going to see it on you know post-broadcast. Uh, but, uh, again, these film, uh, film Marketing Friday sessions are open to anybody who wants to come on and just talk drop. I mean, the whole point of all this stuff is to try to figure out real-world, you know, answers to all these issues that we're all dealing with, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I'm excited. So before I go, I would be a bad business person if I didn't end with, like, this thing, <laughs> which is I always end with, hey, I used to say something like this. I used to have a headline that said, um, hey, don't go away empty-handed, 
But then I realized, oh, look at me. Screw this. I'm using my mouse. There we go. Hold on. <laughs> hey, I downloaded it. Yeah, so here, well, here, this is something new. I haven't tried this. Buy my own Christmas presents out of this thing. <laughs> Check this out. Um, I used to, my headline used to be, um, don't go away empty-handed. And then I said, what equipment did I use to make a feature film for $500 from the crew? And then you can go to the, the URL, freegearguide.com, and get your free equipment list. But I want, to I want to try this out. I want to try changing the headline so when I start putting it on social media again, I want to address another question, which is, are you stuck trying to make your film project? Because I think there's a lot of people that are, and they don't, because they, I think they might need, they believe they might need something bigger or more, you know, more money, more crew, or whatever it is. And I just by tweaking the headline, I'm really curious to see if I get more downloads of the free gear guide by just switching the the, the question itself. So this is an experiment. So this is the first time you get to see it right here, and just asking the question: Are you stuck trying to make your film project? And if so. You might as well take a look at what can be made for so little without a crew. And there you go. So um, we end with this nice little uh, graphic here, and then we can say goodbye. Dave, you want to say goodbye real quick? Thanks oh, for goodness. listening to me rant and stumble over my words and <laughs> go on about Star Wars like that horse hasn't already left the barn. You know? No, no, it was all good because it was relevant. So <laughs> yeah, it was. We had a good long conversation, but I, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Shows yeah. you live in a first world country when your blood really starts to boil only when you're talking about stuff. <laughs> oh, this is, you know, my life is in ruins because of this, this thing. <laughs> Too funny. All right, I'm going to say, uh, say goodbye, and, and until next time, everybody, thanks again.